A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 108, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Off-season edition, folks. Well, I've actually uh, dressed up for this one because our special guest deserves uh, me to be in my absolute Sunday's best, and we will introduce him just a little bit later. Dan Power, with you as always, joined by the professor, Pete Steinberg, the sharpest mind in rugby this side of the Atlantic. Eddie Jones on the other side, obviously, is pretty sharp too. So some competition there, Professor. But I don't know. There's been, been a lot of there's there's been a lot of stuff coming about people not wanting to work for Eddie Jones, how he can't hold on. Like John Mitchell left. There's a lot of like you know. I hope that the people that were my assistants don't feel that way. But uh, yeah. No, anyway, I'm just going to say you may have spoken a little too soon there, but well, that that's another show coming up. But we do the expose of the professor Pete Steinberg <laughs> as we take a look deep inside the closet. And let me tell you, there's some bones rattling back there, folks. But I digress. I digress. How you been, bud? We missed you on the last show. We've uh, we've almost had James Patterson as a regular with me being out sick, and then uh, you were at Disney uh, for for Penny's yeah, birthday. Disney World but- with my yeah, for Penelope's birthday, which was. So I went down to Disney World as a bit of a skeptic, and I kind of get it now. So oh, it was, it's great. it was, it, it is, it is great. I know, but it was really hard. And I, I, I was so broken by Disney that we all wore matching t-shirts. Uh-huh. So my t-shirt <laughs> said the like the 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 dad of the like yeah. five like five year birthday princess or something, and like Yvonne had the mom, and Elliot, who's like a year and a half, has the brother. And I'm like, we're all wearing matching T-shirts. Disney has broken me. Yeah. The other thing I loved about Disney when I went is I think they haven't updated some of the rides from when it was built in the 50s or 40s or whenever it was built. They're the exact same rides. Yeah, the exact same rides, yeah. But she had a great birthday. uh, Before before we move on, I said, Yeah, yeah, we had a great birthday. Yvonne's Yvonne's family came down. Um, It was, uh, I didn't work which is sort of unusual for me. Like normally there's some client stuff, but I actually, I think I had one like client call when we, we had a pool day. I had one client call, but other than that, I didn't work. And then, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I missed you guys. I mean, James does such a good job. I'm, I'm worried that Aaron's going to start getting James Patterson, like, like the host and James Patterson, the analyst on at the same time and like take mm. both of our jobs. Yeah, potentially a lot easier on the eye than, than myself as well. So yeah, well, and, we've got and, to... and just shout out, shout out to you, Dan, before we jump into the stuff because um, hosting is really hard. <laughs> like, yeah, I didn't get any of the reads right. I had to keep saying them. Like, it was hosting is hard. Hosting's hard, but but your show with the with the Kiwis and 
and Andrew. I mean, that's a that was a that was some great insights there. That was a great show. So if yeah, you haven't yeah. heard it, go back and listen. It was great having uh, Drew and and Ryan on, and it was um, you know, God bless Andrew Suniula. To be honest, like one of our great great centers and great players for USA and the whole family Suniula family. Yeah. I think we mentioned at one point Major League Rugby that uh, we should send Mrs. Suniula a big bouquet of flowers because. Of, everything she's done for American right. rugby by having those boys. But uh, the banter, new sponsor tonight. And just everyone knows this isn't an official sponsor. I've just made this up myself. So uh, tonight's banter brought to you by Azaro. If desperation was a scent, it would be Azaro. And that's why I wear it. And then uh, Chevrolet. So the uh, there you go, the Chevy Malibu, which is my rental car while I'm down here in Houston, Texas for the next couple of days. So, uh, thank you to Chevy for making cars and selling them to rental car companies, keeping me moving. And, 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 uh, well, yeah, I was going to say, in all of this, Dan, you've 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 run away from me. You've moved from Colorado to Kansas City. I did. I moved to Kansas City, took a new job with a new company, and um, part of that was a relocation. So uh, I went from Rocky Mountain High to the Midwest Blues, as the gray skies of the Midwest that are synonymous with winters through there before it started rolling I in say, i was gonna say you, you, you've come in at the perfect time because yeah. I'm not, you know maybe in april you'll see the sun well it, it greens up a lot earlier through the midwest i do know that in colorado yeah, that is a little brown and dreary there on the ground but the the blue skies and the snow-capped mountains i will miss and my dear friends uh pete steinberg at the top of the list uh as well but we we promised a, a canadian focused episode and we are going to deliver uh, we, we have on one of my all-time favorite players, not only for Canada, but for the Toronto Arrows, just a phenomenal human being. Um, and Pete, he's a guy that you and I, I think it was in the COVID year, really took a shine to the way he was playing uh, for the Arrows. And of course, that season cut short tragically. But uh, let, let's, let's bring him in. I'm talking about McAdoo, the Mac Daddy, Jamie McKenzie. All right, we are joined now by, dare I say, rugby royalty north of the border. There is no bigger name in Canadian rugby than DTH Vandermeer. He couldn't come on. So we got Jamie McKenzie. <laughs> McAdoo, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here. Thanks for the warm welcome. No, I couldn't think of anything better. You obviously go down uh, as one of my all-time favorite Canadian players, uh, both for the Arrows and for the national team. Uh, we we missed you. We missed you last year. The abbreviated COVID season was the last time we've seen you play. Uh, give us a quick update on, on how the health is and, and what's new in the world. Yeah, so uh, last year, preseason kind of ran into some injury issues that I uh, had before. I tore, tore my labrum in preseason, so that kind of put me out of contention for the season when the guys moved down, down south for, uh, to Atlanta. Um, and just with all the travel restrictions, it didn't make sense for me to try to go down there, play a couple games and with all the uh, quarantines and all that kind of stuff, it, it just didn't work out. So I mean, that was a bit unfortunate. I missed the boys and missed playing last year, but I was glad to see some rugby on TV again. Yeah, no surprises that uh, a Jamie McKenzie left Toronto Arrows absolutely stink this year so <laughs> some people will say it was because you're in Atlanta and all that stuff, but let's you're we, we know the why. real the truth yeah. yeah 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 pete what do you got for him well i mean i think you know one of the reasons we've asked jamie on is because of um you know the the status of the canadian men's national team and the fact that they 
for the first time haven't qualified for the World Cup, Dan. I think we kind of want to pick Jamie's um, Jamie's uh, brain on um, what happens. This is my daughter, Penelope. You should be in bed. <laughs> Regular guest on the show, Jamie, too. Regular I'll guest on the show. That. Regular guest, that. yeah. Um, like what? Certainly the most knowledgeable um, uh, <laughs> pundit in in my family. So, so I'd like to talk a little bit because there's been you know a lot of discussion about Canadian rugby. Obviously, the refreshage getting into 2019, and then the loss to Chile, meaning no World Cups, can have a huge financial impact on Rugby Canada. But you know, you have been around for you know, you're a mature, experienced player. Um, <laughs> you've been around for a long time. I'd just like to get kind of maybe your view on on um, rugby, you know, the Canadian team not qualifying for the World Cup and, and what your thoughts are on kind of, you know, where this decline from Rugby Canada from like almost a top 10 team, right? Fifth, I guess 15 years ago? Um, yeah, 2000, not- 2011 World Cup, we were ranked 11th in the world. Right. So over the last wow. decade and, and how we've gone from 11 to, you know, not qualifying. What, yeah, do, what do you think? It's honestly, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly kind of where things sort of trend downward. Uh, I know we saw like changed coaches a few times and lost some continuity with that and losing some veteran guys, obviously along the way and, and not really having the player pathway with guys coming through. Obviously there's some young guys making their way up to the team, but we lost a big group of guys uh, probably after the 2015 world cup. Um, and yeah, it's kind of been trending downward since then. We like uh, went from qualifying almost automatically qualifying 2011 to qualifying 2015 to ending up in the repechage to not qualifying. So you can look at yeah, I mean there's a trend, right? Yeah, like, like, like I, in my mind's eye, I see that slope going down. And you know, it's, one it's of the things, not the kind of one yeah. you want either. <laughs> right. So so like I you know I look at um, you know North American rugby's always had lots of challenges, right? And mm-hmm. you know both the um, you know both Canada and the US are really challenged with distance. I, I mean you know Canada's a little bit more linear. Mm-hmm. But it's still a long way from like Newfoundland to Vancouver, right? So that's yeah. a that's a very long way. I mean, what is that? Six, seven hours on a flight or something? Yeah. If there is a direct seven flight, and a half. yeah, I don't think there yeah, is. I don't think it works that <laughs> and way. It may yeah. even be a direct flight. So, so like there, there's that distance. Maybe not the up and down north south distance, but that's a that's a long a long distance. But Canada's had you know some traditional advantages over the U.S. I mean, whenever I went up to Canada, you know, really traditional clubs, right? Clubhouses with with um, you know, fields that have been there for a long time. I mean, Dan, what are there? Maybe 20 clubs in the whole of America that might have a clubhouse and a field? If you take out the yeah, colleges. I think it's I think it's trending up though, but you are right. It's not a substantial and, and Canada, there's like 20 of those in Toronto. Yeah. Right? Like, like, you know, it's and they have this infrastructure and you know, high school varsity rugby, rugby being a recognized sport in high school, you know, that's a big advantage that there's you know paid um there's government money right government mm-hmm. money goes in in the provinces that to support development officers there's government money that's able to pay players like there just seems like a lot of advantages over the u.s now the disadvantage is size mm-hmm. right but you can look around the world and say size isn't important like like <laughs> which of those advantages did rugby canada stop leveraging like which of those things did they yeah, because you said that young players aren't coming through. So what have they lost in the last 10 years that have like, taken away some of those advantages? 
I, I think like you touched on, we've, we have a really good club system, especially out West where, where everything was pretty much based. If you wanted to play rugby, you had to move out West and kind of, they used to have the Pacific pride back in the day where, where guys were just on their own dime, grinding day in, day out, training together, playing well. And that's when they're successful. And kind of when I moved out to out West in 2007, um, I think I was the only guy on the UVic team that wasn't capped for sevens or fifteens, and uh, everybody moved out there if you wanted to play. That was that's how you did it. Uh, you, there was Canadian carding money, but it was it wasn't much twelve hundred, fourteen hundred bucks a month that guys were living off of, and everybody was playing club rugby. And so you're playing against the guys that you're competing for in, uh, for positions every weekend. So it's basically like an inter squad game every weekend, and that's when we were really, really strong. And uh, I think kind of when it started a trend slightly downward is when they put some restrictions on the amount of uh, like Canadian uh, carded players that could play for each team. Um, Like you'd be missing guys from the Canadian squad because there's too many carded guys on one team. And, and that's, that's an issue when you just want the best guys out out there playing week in and week out. That that's interesting, right? Because BC, if you go up there, it's, you know, it, everything's drivable, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, it's very good rugby. There's good facilities, like, and and so the so for a long time, people just flew out there because it was the best rugby. It's where you develop. Now, you know, we saw that in the US, like for a long time, you know, it was like, well, you have to play in California if you want to yeah. get selected. There's a lot of guys that, you know, when Dan Dan played for Nyack, there were lot, lots of guys that would like move to New York to be able to play for the best clubs. And so, mm-hmm. It's one of the one of the things that Dan and I have talked about when we talked about the draft, and everyone's like, "Oh, like you're making someone move to a city," to, and I'm, and I'm like, "Well, they're being paid." Like <laughs> back in the day, people did that all the time. They just moved to yeah. the city, and they kind of worked out worked out what happened. So, so, so there's obviously a, a little bit of a change in BC and how BC worked, and players not being able to play. But you know, I guess we kind of thought that MLR was going to solve some of these things. Yeah, I, th- I still think we're, we're pretty um, new to that whole, I guess, structure in terms of the MLR and, and how it's going to affect things down the road. I think it's definitely giving guys more of a pathway. The younger guys can see that they can actually make a bit of money, play, play a sport they love and, and be in like a, a city like Toronto, which is amazing. So I think that's really cool. I think it might be a few years be- before we see any um, production from that and those uh, like the arrows are setting up uh, several academies throughout Ontario. So they're able to work in different areas, find new players and bring them into the system. So I think like down the road, it, it could be beneficial, but Canada's kind of struggled with finding the right competitions and spending money in certain spots. Like we went from North American four back in the day to then the CRC and just finding the right structure of how to, play competitive rugby all the time when before guys were literally just moving out west on their own dime and doing it themselves basically what do you think the answer is mate like i feel like we get into this discussion uh, almost like once every world cup cycle we as in canada and the united states what is the solution everyone talks about the the japan thing and it's it's different such a small country with their pro league mm-hmm. you know i i'm i'm heavily you know in favor of major league rugby. Um, yeah. I think we need a pro comp here. It's going to take time to percolate, but below that, when does the bureaucracy at this club level selfishness kind of attitude end and start driving focus towards what's best for the players? 
It's a tough question. Like nobody wants to see the likes of U.S. or, or Canada not qualify for World Cups. So finding an answer, it's going to be difficult. But um, it's it's really hard to say. Like there's not much. Like, I'd like to see a better connection between uh, the MLR teams, like like the Arrows uh, and the local clubs, to kind of get in earlier in those spots and find players. And uh, they're starting to work on that. Like I said, they're putting in academies. They're going to start start doing but the uh, challenge is like yeah so jamie that's good as long as the clubs are okay with yes you should take yeah. our best players yeah right like that's the that like like it's the thing if, if you ever go down to new zealand the reason why new zealand rugby is dominant and i you know because it's not the size right and, and and there is some stuff about level of coaching and stuff like that but the primary reason why new zealand is dominant is the most important thing for every club president, right? Every yeah. coach that's coaching their club, the most important thing is the All Blacks win. That's yeah. the most important thing, right? <laughs> so they're willing, they're willing to be like, we'll lose, yeah, right? We'll lose if it helps the All Blacks win. And we don't have that. We don't have it in the US and we don't have it in Canada. So the Arrows can build that relationship with the clubs. As long as the clubs are like, yeah, it's more important for us that the Arrows win mm-hmm. than it is for us to win. Because if the Arrows win, then Canada wins. And, 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 and does that exist anywhere in Canada? Do you think? I honestly like the club season is like, especially in Ontario, it's short because we're winter like nine months of the right. year, basically. It's like winter, <laughs> and then it's like too hot to play rugby. Is that what it is? Exactly. It's like- <laughs> yeah, it's very extreme. But one thing I absolutely love about uh, New Zealand rugby is when the players go from playing pro, playing from New Zealand, and go back to represent their club. Like they love doing that. Um, so I'd love to see more of that, like actual arrows guys going back to their clubs, um, and actually representing the arrows at the club level. And maybe then guys are, uh, younger guys are more inclined to try to make a run at it once they they're playing around those guys and they see that kind of level of quality. That's definitely, that has to be a solution because I think one of the challenges that, um, Canada had with the centralization is when those guys weren't playing. Yeah. Right. So in the last couple of years, you've had guys that haven't been playing um, like any rugby and the way you get better is you play rugby. So if you're in the arrows and you're not in the 23, and even if you're in the 23 and you get 10 minutes each week, you're not going to get better. Right. You need to be playing. And I think that, that the openness in club competition to let guys come down and play, this gets to the parochialism that Dan was saying. We've got to let that go and be like, yeah, it's really important. That, like, and I'm, I'm with Dan. I did this. As, I tried to do this as a coach, um, but like, it's really hard, right? But always put the player first. So the player that goes off to the MLR team needs to be able to come back and play club rugby if they're not getting the minutes. Yeah, and and that's actually something the Arrows have been working on is again it comes back to the level of competition because when guys aren't in the squad for the arrows or they're coming back from from injury or whatever it might be they actually get sent out to the pacific pride now uh with the hopes of getting some game time but again that competition because guys are all playing mlr now it's a little bit diluted over there so you you might be getting minutes but they might not be quality minutes which is difficult right and then you go back jumping up to the mlr and it takes some time to get ahead of steam and get back into the mix there so, so what is it like? I, I, I have one more question, Dan. I know I'm dominating this. Is something really <laughs> yeah, interesting. No. <laughs> and then I'll let Dan go. So one more question, and then I'll let Dan go. So let's talk about the MLR because there's a lot of Canadians that aren't playing for the Arrows, 
right? Mm -hmm. That are playing for other teams. Like, what's the sense in, like, the Canadian squad? Like, do guys want to play for the Canadian team? Or is it really just, hey, look, I want to play wherever they get have the best opportunity? Like, what is it? Or, or where I, where they can offer me the most money, right? There's lots of different options. How do you yeah. think, like, like if you had, if you had, like, a 21, 22-year-old guy that could play MLR, where would mm -hmm. you tell him to go? Uh, I'm a little bit biased because I love the Arrows and I, and I think it's a great city and a great team to play for. But realistically, for Canadian rugby, like, just get as many guys in the MLR as you can. Um, it doesn't matter. Wherever you have an opportunity, like uh, the, the likes of Fraser Hurst getting an opportunity with Utah and, and really taking uh, – he did a good job there. Um, but, yeah, realistically, just as many, and as many Canadian players in the MLR. And then from a Canadian perspective as well, you're taking a spot away from an American guy, which is your competition. So <laughs> that's kind of how I look at it. <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, my view is that we have to work like our, our competition shouldn't be Canada. Our competition yeah. should be England and New Zealand and exactly. we should work together. Yeah. But I get a little bit like, <laughs> like when you get into those games, like yeah. I, can, I can see that happening. Well, it's great when you've got Canadian players on other teams because the competition, everybody knows each other and there's those gritty right. little battles and, and it's a bit of fun. Right. So I, I love seeing that. And I just want to see more, more players playing in the MLR. Um, like it's great having the likes of uh, like Mananu stuff, uh, players like that coming in and and really raising the level. So guys that might not have played overseas or, or whatever it may be, they can see what it takes to play for the All Blacks. I'm just right. picturing a damp basement in Toronto with a bunch of uh, Canadian legends in the red suits. Project Trojan <laughs> Horse, disperse into America, stifle the development of the young players, and reclaim the glory days. Exactly. Hey, let's, 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 let's talk a little bit of fun stuff now because, uh, I mean, it, it's, it is a, it's a tough time for the Canadian rugby and, and USA may find themselves in very similar crosshairs here in 12 months. So let's talk about your career. We didn't get you on the show because you're just some bum uh, who's got a, a much better brother who plays for Canada <laughs> as well. Great career yourself. 21 games, a couple of World Cups in there. Let me ask you this. One try. Do you remember the try, who you scored it against and how you I, did it? I, I did. A little scoot yeah. uh, down the side yeah. of Uruguay. Yeah, that's right. And we're down I, there I'm too more, in Montevideo. I'm more of an assist guy than a, than a try scorer. I couldn't pull up your try assist, but I'm guessing it was a high <laughs> number. But you've only got one try. But talk, talk us through your career. You had, a, you had a great career. Highlights for you? What was one of the games that really stood out? Uh, I think the number one thing that always jumps out for me, uh, it's cool, pretty cool thing to do. Uh, me and my brother were the first brothers to ever start a game at uh, the World Cup for Canada. And that was that Italy game where we just That's narrowly cool. lost. So I, I remember standing in the tunnel and he's a few spots behind me. And I, I look at him, I'm like, come on, you donkey, stand beside me. Like, we got to get a picture like while we're singing the anthem for our, for our folks. And actually, yeah. um, we had this, uh, this photographer at the game, uh, her name's Paige. And Canadian girl watching the the World Cup and she got a wicked shot of me standing uh, me and him standing side by side so that's a pretty special memory for me and and the rest of the family because they're uh, most of them were there yeah and that, that that's a game that really it was a, a conversion and a penalty difference 23-18 in Leeds um, yeah. did, did your brother know like in that game that like when you look up and see your parents in the crowd that that you were the favorite and he wasn't? Or was that something you had to like address with him later? I brought it up in the change room after actually. 
Yeah. I think it's the other other way around. Most people would be surprised that uh, <laughs> that I could get a, a suntan because I'm usually living in his shadow. But <laughs> yeah, well now he's now he's an influencer, right? Hashtag. Uh, what's his what's his Instagram stuff? He's he's blowing up. Uh, at Lean Squad. Uh, so yeah. be sure to check that out for your at home workouts. Everything fitness. Got to do a little plug there. But no, he's he's uh, he's he's done really well after his career, and it's been awesome to see and watch his family grow and his business take off. So that's been pretty cool for me too. And then, did you growing up? Obviously, it, it's it's a pretty unique situation. We had a lot of brothers around the world play rugby together. But did you have an inkling that that was something that was going to happen? Was that a plan that you and your brother had? Hey, we're going to play Canada, play for Canada together at some point. Honestly, I was a big hockey guy before uh, Before I didn't get hey. drafted. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, I was a big hockey guy. And then uh, when that kind of fell through, I made the transition to rugby and we started playing a lot together. Uh, played a bunch of Ontario, Canada, like under, we did some Canada 23 together. And then we made the jump uh, to the men's team. And we actually played for the same pro team in, uh, in the championship in England, which was also like another really cool experience. You don't get to do that too often. No, I thought you were going to say you played together in pro rugby. I'm like, I, I remember he was down with the, 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 the Tropics, the San Diego yeah, Tropics. San Diego I'm like, I'm trying Tropics. to remember trying to remember where you were. All right, I've got a couple of questions that have uh, come in from fans who obviously love uh, Jamie McKenzie and, and none more than uh, Karen Gasparino here, KG, who's doing some amazing stuff herself in rugby. Uh, I think I know the answer to this one but this is a, a one that's close to my heart and you and I have talked about. Are you looking to get into more commentary? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, had a blast doing the stuff for TSN. Got to work uh, one game kind of closely with you. Um, I think you were yeah. talking about hot dogs half the time. Was that the game? Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I incurred the wrath of the entire <laughs> rugby population in Canada because I spoke hot dogs for about, to be fair, two minutes maybe. And they acted like I spent four. Don't raise your eyebrows, Jamie. I can go back and watch it again. It's on the Rugby Network, uh, the number one streaming platform in the US for rugby, uh, rugbynetwork.com. Uh, you got a lot a of shit of for, for hot dogs from a lot of people. We did. We did. <laughs> uh, and I got it from both ends. From Canada, it was, why are you talking about hot dogs? And then from the US, it was like, why are you murdering our national food with just ketchup? Um, <laughs> But anyway, we're here to talk about you, not hot dogs. Uh, commentary. Yeah. You, you want to get that? I'd love to. Uh, like I said, I had an absolute blast. I got kind of thrown into it. I didn't know what to expect. I, I was going on there thinking I was going to do like a little bit of uh, analysis or something like that. And the first day in the studio that we got there, um, they told me I was going to be the host. And I asked if there's like a script. <laughs> They're like, nope, you just got to come up with everything. And uh, it was, it was a, um, a whirlwind like you got somebody talking in your ear you're watching screens trying to think of what to say carry on a conversation and it, it was a blast though and and as i got more used to it it definitely became more fun i have i have noticed some people who have been quite vocal against certain commentators at different periods when they step into the world they realize it's <laughs> not actually easy yeah not just talking it's not that yeah. easy yeah, I mean, I'm going to write a book about my first season in Major League Rugby with Pete Steinberg. Some of the uh, some of the dramas that we went through. It's a it's, honestly, it's a minor miracle we still talk to each other. But um, it'd be great. I, I'll I'll definitely 
I'll definitely have you back in that one. I'd love to have you involved. And I think it'd be great to have some Canadian voices. Um, That'd be awesome. I'd love in that. In rugby as well. Hopefully the borders are open, right? We can come to Canada. You can uh, come down here. November 8th, I think, because I've been trying to get down to a Bills game. So, Yeah, looking good. Josh <laughs> Allen. Hey. Oh, circle them wagons. Let's go. Circle them wagons. Off the top, <laughs> flaming table. See you later. He came as uh, Phil Mickelson. Just see him rolling in as Phil yeah, Mickelson. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. The carbs. Yeah. Oh, so good. Hitting hellacious bombs. All right. Uh, the other one was about your hair. Um, I almost don't want to ask it because I'm a follically challenged guy or head in that direction and I'm jealous. But how do you, how do you keep the hair so fresh? Uh, I think I've just got lucky. Um, hold it, hold it, hold it. How long does it take you in the morning to get your hair right? About, I'd like to say like a minute 30. It's a quick. minute 30. All right, that's good. That's quick. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's a towel dry, a little bit of product, mess it up, you're good to go. Way to go. I hate you. Yeah. You know that, Brian. <laughs> I know oh. All right, commentary's there. What's next? What's next for Jamie McKenzie in the rugby world? Uh, well, actually, I was just um, I was talking to some of the guys from the Canadian team after that Chile game, kind of joking around, saying that they forced my hand here a little bit. But uh, with some of the injury issues that I had and uh, Canada not qualifying, kind of uh, took away some of my incentive to come back. So I actually did some reflecting over the last few weeks and uh, kind of decided that I'm officially going to hang up the boots, which is uh, exciting, disappointing, upsetting. But uh, I'm happy about the decision and I'm looking forward to the next chapter, which is which will be pretty cool. Well, that's uh, that is big news, and you know, as a guy who, who become quite close to you at the back end of your career, let me just say it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I, I loved watching you play, and I got a little sample for the arrows. Obviously, got to watch you and call some of your games for Canada as well. But um, if there's anyone who can hold their head high and their way out, it's you, brother. And it's it's a it's not the way you want to end it, right, with an injury. But yeah, the body of the body of work in its totality is something to be really proud of, and, yeah, and that's you. why you're number one in the McKenzie family. <laughs> uh, now, now you have the uh, the Instagram future ahead. Instead of lean squad, we can have husky squad. We're for larger <laughs> gentlemen like myself, a little softer. <laughs> yeah. in? The dad bod squad. The dad bod, the dad squad. bod squad. I love it. I like it. As someone who is full dad bod, I am all over that. Yeah, since uh, last season, I've been working strongly on my, my dad bod, so it's, it's coming along quite well right now. Oh, good man, good man. I, I, we'll get budgie smugglers involved. We'll see if we can get some no. dad bod squad <laughs> sluggos, and we'll, we'll give your brother a run for his money, huh? I love that. Let's give the people what they want, right? Oh, God. <laughs> Whoever wants that is needs to get their head checked, let me tell you. All right, buddy, we appreciate you jumping on. Always welcome. And I, and I hope that uh, you and I get to work together here in the future, whether it be on the TV side of things, the rugby side of things, whatever it is. Um, you're an absolute gentleman, mate, and an absolute pleasure, like I said, to, to know you and, and be involved with a, a small part of your great career. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that, and thanks for having me on. All right. What an absolute legend. Pete, say goodbye. <laughs> Not the final time, but... Goodbye. I'm like, I'm like he dying. <laughs> Jamie, until we see you next time, let's chat about commentating. I'll share all the notes I've picked up over the last couple of years. I think I've, you'll do a great job. 
And uh, um, I think whatever you end up doing next, I, you know, you're walking away on your terms, which I think is probably the, the, the you know, if it's the, it's the thing that I think every pro athlete tries to do. And so good luck with whatever's next. And I'm sure that we'll um, see you involved in rugby in lots of different ways. I'll, uh, I'll be watching your guys' commentary highlight reels uh, weekly. So I'll be working on that. <laughs> He'll be analyzing. He's like, I've got to do some video. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I, need my own, I need my own catchphrase. I got to come up with something cool. Oh, there yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah. We'll, do. We'll, get some, we'll do. We'll get something for you. All right. Perfect. Jamie McKenzie, Canadian International, Toronto Arrow. And all around good bloke. <laughs> That's big news, Pete. Uh, Thirty-two years young, big retiring. News. Great, great career. But you know, you hate to see a player go out with an injury. But it sounds like he's really taken his time and thought this process through, and and he gave it a good shot at rehab this year. And and just a talented human being, like on the field, but also off it, just as a human being. I think he's going to land. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, it was. Like during the esports explosion of, of rugby during COVID, yeah, I got yeah. I got really I got a chance to to meet Jamie and he's got like a sharp wit and he's a smart guy and um, he's just one of those guys that's going to be successful. I think he's also one of the guys that really maximised his talent. Like I don't think he's the, like the best natural athlete, but really skilled. Re- read the game really well and you know was was a, a missing piece of you know the arrows had a few guys that you know, weren't able to come south of the border for mm-hmm. for their season. And, and yeah, guys like Rob Brower and, and Jamie McKenzie, I think that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, it, 100%. And then, um, again, I forgot I forgot about the virtual rugby. How good was that with him and Ben Lesage? It was like the uh, was modern like day couple. <laughs> I know. Poor Ben just sat there and took the abuse where Jamie kind of rolled with the game back and had a great time. Benny Lesage, just like the nicest human being on the face of the earth. I'm just like, I can't keep doing this to him. He's, he's too nice. But uh, let's, let's go some, some more news out of there. Uh, Toronto Arrows, they will sponsor the Canadian University Championships. Pete, you have uh, spoken at length about uh, Canadian University rugby and, and, and how that is structured and how that's set up as a beneficial vehicle for Canadian rugby. So this is great to see the Arrows get involved here. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think, you know, we heard from Jamie about the Arrows connecting with local clubs. I mean, the Arrows, like, they they have, you know, there's, I can't imagine that five years from now, we don't have at least one more Canadian team um, uh, in MLR, right? There's just too much talent uh, and too much passion for the sport north of the border. Um, I know there's been a couple of groups in Toronto, you know, there's some money sort of in the Calgary area, right? Um, even in Newfoundland, there's, there was some, you know, there's 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 passionate rugby fans. So I can't imagine that five years from now there's going to be, um, you know, that Toronto will be the only Canadian team. But they're trying, you know, they're doing a great job of being. They want to be the Canadian team. So even if someone comes in a couple of years from now, that the Arrows have really yeah. had that first mover advantage. And I think this is part of it. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you 100. And it would be great uh, to see them back at home. And I'll, I'll stand on this soapbox still. I I really think that the right thing to do is give them the championship um, at a neutral venue or something, you know, something big to thank the Toronto fans and the players for, for what they did yeah. in 2021. But we'll see. Not making those decisions, so unfortunately. All right, let's jump into some transactions. Boy, oh, boy, the There's a ton of them. Running like, hot. Do you want me just to run through them quick of... and then you can kind of touch on a, a couple of them? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
the, the, obviously the, the big one that jumped out to everyone was Ma Noto, uh announced that he is coming back to San Diego. I believe he did that right as the, uh, the All Blacks game against USA was either happening or about to happen or had happened. So uh, good timing there, Marv, just like letting everyone know that one of the greatest All Blacks is actually coming back to the shores to terrorise us for another year. Uh, John Sullivan. Uh, Noel Gold fans will know the name John Sullivan. He has moved over to Rugby ATL, so they're building up their front row stocks there. Obviously, we had uh, Chance Wengluski on a few weeks ago and announced that he is leaving. I'm not sure if that has been publicly announced yet where he's going, so I will just hold my breath on that one. Yep, I will. I'll just read through Aaron's notes real quick. Uh, <laughs> Dallas Christian Adams, and uh, I'm looking at my notes. I'm missing a name here, so... Thanks a lot, Strobro. It's, uh, it's yeah. down the bottom. Oh, it is. Mayor. Oh, you Oy can tell. I have no here. idea. I couldn't tell. Oi, yeah. Yeah. Look at this. We'll get all the listen, we'll get the phonetics before the, the season kicks off. Don't worry, because then Yako, uh, here we go. Bizendin Hoot. Bizudin Hoot. Uh, at least Zach Pangelina, we know that one extends. Oh, Pam, she's going around again. How is that possible? I, I think I've mentioned this so many times. I played with Zach Pangelina. Me. I, I mean, he was, like, he was like 16 at the time. Oh, you must have been. Dylan Schmidt, and they get Kenny Nassengaga out of uh, San Diego, goes across the Big, big fan up, of Kenny's. Big, yeah. yeah, me too. Big, big pickup. Like athlete, physical. Love that. Yep. Love that pickup. Taylor Crumry, uh, champion with Seattle in their inaugural season. He fills the void that John Sullivan leaves, but uh, in a different position. So he goes to Nola Gold. Jack Reeves, he's on a, a deal in New England coming across from the Gloucester Club. Uh, Foster Duet, the vet, or Duet, depending on how you want to say it. And Holden Youngett, uh, young St. Mary's halfback, who's down at Nola since their first season. He heads all the way up to the Northeast, I believe. So that's- um, Girlfriend or fiance got a job up in Boston, so the teams were able to figure out a trade to get Holden up there. So that was good to see. Uh, I mean, I, I think there might be three starting scrum halves in New England, right? John Holden signed, yep. And you've got and, uh, and, and Yac- Sean Yacobian, Yacob- who was just down with yeah, the uh, American selects. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good uh, <laughs> like you know. I mean, I mean, John Poland played. Almost every minute of every game from New England, so there's going to be some real competition there. Holden Young obviously, like, has done great stuff for for Nola. So, um, like, lots of competition. I think New England's so far doing a great job and seems to be winning the off season, in my view. That's because they've got Tom Kindly. That's why Kaiser Soze. Okay, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he knows what's going on. Trust me, we're gonna the, the curtain will fall one day and. Tom Kindly will be the guy behind Major League Rugby. He'll be the he was the guy, but it'll be too late because we'll run out of the police station, we'll drop our coffee mug, and then realize it was being played, and he'll be gone. What is it? The greatest trick the devil ever played is convincing as he didn't exist. TK, I'm on to you, pal. If I suddenly <laughs> go missing anyone, call Tom Kindly because he'll be in the middle of it. All right, let's go further north. Toronto, Farlele Sioni. He signs. Uh, for the Arrows, giving them some beef up front. Gaston Mirez extends, as does Adrian Wadden. So, again, Jamie Big McKenzie fan retires. Mirez. Love, love, love yeah, how he too. plays. Me too. And we talked about Martin Ono going to 
San Diego. All right, trade alert. We've got some trades going on. Uh, here we go. Stay with me on this one because whenever Ryan Fitzgerald's involved, you know it's going to be a long-ass trade that will involve uh, an array of different <laughs> things because Fitzy is probably, is, probably you know, some like some like New Orleans, like you know, I don't know what is it, crawfish or something that goes along with it. Yeah, like sending some food up from New Orleans. We've got the Kaiser Soze in New England. We've got the Rain Man down in uh, New Orleans. The way he processes his numbers so quickly. All right, Nola Jones. Take two, Dan. Just relax. We've got the case of the Pete's here. Nola Gold trades a foreign slot to New York for the draft rights of Chase Score Haskins, who was the draft pick from the 2022 draft in the second round. Toronto. Have 2021 draft. He was, uh, my apologies, he was out of the the recent draft. So, yes. Right. Um, And they also pick up a second round pick for next year as well. Uh, So, New York get a foreign slot and a second round pick next year. So, a second rounder and a foreign slot there in New York for uh, Chase Score Haskins. New York gets the the slot. New York gets the foreign slot and Nola gets Chase Score Haskins. And a second yeah. round pick in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I should be thanking Fitzy for making my turn my brain into Linguini and nodding it up. Toronto trades a second round pick for next year to Nola for Kyle Bailey. That's a steal. I would trade a that for deal. Kyle Bailey. I don't but even I have a second like, round like, pick. You know, a little bit like, you know, where you said with Holden Younger, in, in some of these, there are some personal decisions that are impacting, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, um, someone like Carl Bailey who wants to probably go north of the border, there'll be things, um, uh, you know, so so sometimes it's just the teams getting what they can for a player that's kind of already made a decision, right? Gotcha. And uh, um, yeah, and so I think the you know, you're right, that's a steal. Right, but that might be just what Nola could get, right? Gotcha. Um, because Carl Bailey already wanted to go to Toronto, so there's yeah, there's yeah. still some there's player agency in this, right? Players can can make some of these choices. Thanks, thanks, Professor. Appreciate that. You're welcome. All right, here's, here's some other departures without anything involved with other teams. Connor Wallace Sims has moved on from New York, so we'll keep an eye on that to see where he lands. Talented young outside back. Uh, I'm sure he'll be. Uh, I know he has a pretty good job that kind of restricted him at times in New York. So maybe, maybe he will not be signing with another team. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But I would imagine at his age and his skill level, he'll be a hot commodity for a domestic outside back. He's US eligible. He's been captured in the pool, I, I believe. Tuidraki Samusama Vondre uh, out of New England. So signs for Fijian Drua. Uh, and Cam Clark signs for the Brumbies, which is uh, it's good. That's obviously uh, a yeah. big pickup for the Brumbies and a big loss for the San Diego Legion there, Pete, Cam Clark. I was really impressed with him. Him and uh, Bjorn Besson were definitely the two of the most threatening you know, players for San Diego all this year. Right, but it is showing that MLR can be a shop window. I mean, it's interesting because we're still getting... You know, they're, you know, they're, they're obviously the Marnonos at, at the end of the career that, that are coming. And we see some guys in, I think Dallas have, named, have got a couple of guys to bring in some experience, professional experience as they basically put together their first team. Um, I think that the, uh, you know, but to have, to still be a shop window where people can look and say, huh, someone's playing there. That's, that's good. And obviously, you know, Cam Clark from Oz makes it a little bit easier, but like, 
that to me is 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 a benefit because it means we'll get younger players, right? So we'll get younger players that are coming over to see um uh to be able to you know see what um see what they can do over here, get game time. I mean, when I talk to the guys that are like 23, 24 that were at top clubs around the world and they come here, they're like, Yeah, I wasn't playing. Like, you know, I don't want to spend my career, you know, as a squad player not getting to play rugby and the chance to come to America and then be a starter and, and grow, I think we, we want that. We want guys to be able to come here like 22, 23, didn't get, aren't get the, getting the chances overseas, come here for like two or three years, really grow and develop and, and then be seen as, as a place where they can go back. I think that's good for the league. There's also some, you know, opportunities for the league to get benefit from that, right? Because if they're under contract, yeah. another team wants them, there's, there's some compensation that can happen. So, you know, I think all of that is probably good. Yeah, Harrison Goddard jumped straight to mind. Ross Neal up in Seattle, guys right. who were playing professional rugby, but maybe not getting the minutes that they were after, and they come over. Let's talk some appointments. Brendan O'Meara leaves St. Mary's College to become Austin Gilgroni's Outlaws Academy head coach and the AG Rugby contact coach. This is a good one here. Todd Clever, TC, appointed head of partnerships for LA Giltinis. I'm actually going to change that title for Todd now and become Todd Clever, appointed head of partnerships and good times for the LA Giltinis. <laughs> so I actually, I actually like that. I think it's a, I think it's a great move for TC. He's out in that area, but um, Toddy was really like the first brand for USA rugby. Right? Yeah. He traveled yeah, all over the world. Right. Like everyone kind of thought, oh, USA Eagles, Todd Clever. It was like, so he, he's made a lot of connections around the world that can probably benefit LA on a commercial point of view. And it, it was a big, um, it's funny, funny how this just pops into my head because John Elway's probably done it the best. But it was a big ambition of most professional football players in the NFL. You'd play for 10 years and then you'd get a car dealership and you'd sell right. cars and you'd be like Pete Steinberg's Chevrolet. You know, that, that's the second shout-out for Chevy, by the way. I don't even drive a Chevy. Um, but that was kind of the thing. And I, I, I think that could be something that the rugby world kind of looks at here initially, if like these partnerships and how they can benefit players so and and Todd's a pretty yeah, well right. guy I mean, in that yeah I, I I think it's a good move for Todd I think the Giltinis are really building an organization right so so things like this are a part of what you should have as an organization I think in, in a number of teams like the you know general manager or the CEO kind of head has that as well but I think in a market like LA um, you want the um, head of partnerships and it's a great like career opportunity I also think that you know, um, Brendan O'Meara, it, it's interesting. We're seeing some of these college guys get picked up by MLR to go into their academies, right? Um, I think the coach of UCLA uh, um, is... Dave Clancy. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's moved to the Giltinis. So it's interesting to see some of these guys. Um, I mean, Utah were kind of ahead of the game, right, with Brandon Sparks moving from the University of Michigan. And part of it's like, as someone that was in that college scene, like, you know, the other coaches, you have that network, right? You can call up someone, say, I heard about this guy. What do you think? You know who to trust. So I think, I think those are really good pickups. I think how um, academies and the college game work together, I think it's going to be really, really interesting, right? I think that's going to be like, are we going to see players like going to an academy, that academy having some relationship with a local university? So you can go there, you can still get your degree, but you can play in an MLR academy and basically saying, huh, okay, I think maybe we've got like the opportunity. 
here to be able to play at a higher level, maybe even get some MLR games while I'm still at university. Because at the university, there's definitely like some really top teams, but there's a lot of teams that play good rugby, but don't have the systems and processes that can really support that development from 18 to 22, which is so important. So I'm really look. I'm really interested to see how those those academies kind of work together, um, and and how they how they complement or maybe even are in competition with some of the colleges. Yeah, here's here's a crazy thought, and we kind of talked about this with Jamie earlier. Why not both? Why 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 be so restrictive in the college game? We're not regulated by the NCAA. Like uh, the eligibility rules are governed by USA Rugby and and whatever college you know, organization runs college rugby right, right now. Instead of being selfish and saying, I want to win a college national championship, why don't we open the door to these academy players and say, you're I, not going to lose your eligibility. Go and I've, train. I've yep. never, yeah. I've never understood why people have to lose their eligibility when they move up. Like, like, I, I, was, like I was the national team coach, didn't agree with it. I was the head of game development, didn't agree with it. No one's really, there's like this thing about like protecting the players. I'm like, from what? Yeah. Like, from what? like what are you protecting the players from? Like, well, you want these players to play the highest level. There's definitely, you know, I, I mean, you can definitely see it from, you know, the college community. They're like, well, hold it. We're going to lose our best players. Right. Yeah. So if we let this, and, and it's like, yeah, that's the best thing for the players. As long as they can still get their education, um, but, you know, I also understand, like, the college game is like, hey, we can be the engine for MLR. Um, mm-hmm. The challenge is there's just, you know, the, it, the support is spotty at, at that level. But just philosophically, you know, I know when our U20s go to, like, you know, you know, went to the World Cup, right? Scott Lawrence coached the U20s. They won the trophy. The following year, they went to the World Cup. And we had yeah. guys that were playing high school rugby because they were 18, and they were playing up against 18 and 19 year olds that had played in the premiership and played university rugby, both. Yeah. Like we're just, it, we're holding ourselves back. I don't, I, I, I don't understand it. You know, we talked Dan with Jamie about the parochialism and, and putting the Eagles and players first. And I think this is a place where you, you know, the college game can do, and, and, and I get it. Right. I was, I was there, but I think the right thing for the players is to encourage the players to play at the highest level. Yeah, that's, and that's and the right thing for the players. Pete, by the time they get out of college, best case scenario, 22, 23, worst case, 24, 25. Like if you go to tier one countries around the world, by 25, you're an established professional rugby player. You've been playing, in some cases, 17, 18, they're in these professional setups. Yeah, I, so I mean, we're I mean, even just... further behind. And, and this is not a knock on the college game here or the college coaching, but the coach in Major League Rugby is the best domestic coaching we've ever had available to us. Why not flood those pools now with all the talent that we possibly can? So, so I think, I think what, what I would say, Dan, is that um, while it's true that, like, you know, there's great coaching with MLR teams, it's not clear yet that there's great coaching at the academies, right? And so the MLR academies probably do need to demonstrate quality of process, quality of player development, quality of player wellness, right, right, that they really have programming, right, that is superior to, so there's a lot of colleges, you know, I'm, I'm at Penn State, um, I'm a Penn, I was at Penn State with the women and the men, and there's, like, the Penn State program, they have, like, real top-notch medical, they have, you know, um, strength and conditioning coaches, they have access to nutritionists, they have actress, you know, they actually have a lot of that, but maybe there's 25 colleges in the country that have that, 
right? But what they don't have is they don't necessarily have the best competition, right? And so I think that there's going to be, I think the, I think we're early in the MLR Academy process. So I would like to see the opportunity for the players to be there, but I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk that a player should go to an academy over a most, top university. I think that's a choice. So most MLR Academy models, most of them, there are a few that are different, um, are looking to be an addition to the current process as it, as far as it goes to U23. There are a few that are different, but if you look at, uh, say, Austin, Austin was a great example last year. Uh, they did their AGS U23 Outlaws where they basically took the guys who wanted to do more from Baylor, Texas, and A&M, and they built three different teams. And they did a summer academy model and then did two tournaments with doing round robin with those just three teams of their guys. So they got, they brought in, I think it was like 70 guys total from those three clubs as it was an addition on top of everything that they were already doing. Um, There are some that are different, but most of the models that MLR is putting into place are more right, opportunity, but, still, but not taking away opportunity. Right. And, and I think that's fine. But I think what we're saying is that if I'm a college kid at Texas A&M, right, and I'm good, right? University of Texas, buddy. You're in the wrong University, part of the world. University of Texas, sorry. But I thought you said Texas A&M is one of the teams that they set. Right, University of Texas, right? It's and I'm a really Houston. good player. And I and I go to the uh, um, and I go to the MLR Academy, and they're like, "Man, you're really good. We want you to play with us." But he, he's going to be like, "Well, hold on. If I play for you, then I lose my eligibility with the University of Texas. So I don't like, even though you give me the opportunity to be on the 23, I'm not going to take it because I want to play with my college buddies. Or I, you know, I've I've been at the University of Texas for three years, and I'm a senior, and I'm the captain. Like our point is that, like, we think that guy should have the opportunity to play in the MLR game if he has that, and not lose his eligibility." I mean, and we can bring some people on. What, and have what happens? Specific. What happens to the draft at that point? Now, if you're capturing a player while they're in college, and all of a sudden they graduate, do they go into the draft? And now they another team oh. can grab them after you've developed them in the academy. So, whole new can of worms. So, not right there. We're not going to do it tonight because we have to wrap up. We've but we should do it. Though. This is this would be an interesting show. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, Aaron just sent me a message. I understand the process to capture players. It's all good. We'll do it on another show. We'll get a, we'll get a panel. We'll get some college people. We'll get some MLR people. We'll get some players. Let's find one of the top. If a college player comes on the show, do they lose their eligibility? Just kidding. Just kidding. Everyone relax. All right, that wraps it up for the professor, Pete Steinberg, the stats boy. We didn't give us any stats tonight, just opinions, but I love them. Aaron Castro, our producer. I'm Dan Powell. This has been the MLR kickoff.